All right, if you are staying with us up here, I invite you to take your Bible out this morning to Matthew chapter 2. And so we are in this kind of weird in-between week, right? Christmas has gone by, and so many of us have just transitioned our minds to the new year and new things. But, but we're going to remain at least here uh, one more week in our Advent series. Uh, we're going to conclude it this morning by looking at the rest of, really, Matthew's account of the birth of, of Christ. And so if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 2 this morning. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you, I think, in a chair you can look at as well. I just think it's helpful to have uh, his word in front of you, so you're not just taking my word for it. Again, over the last, really, two Sundays and then Christmas Eve, we've been working through Matthew's account of the birth of Christ and the, kind of the events surrounding it. A couple weeks ago, we worked through the genealogy of Jesus, in which we saw the faithful hand of God keeping his promise to send the Messiah, right? Abraham is mentioned, David is mentioned, these, these covenants that God had given his people, right? To Abraham, that, that his descendants would be as, as many as the stars in the sky, and that the, the, the eternal king would come through the line of David, and all these promises were met and kept through the Messiah, which you can track back through the genealogy. It's really fascinating. And again, Matthew writes his whole genealogy account to establish the legal priesthood or the rightful ownership of Christ to the throne. From that point, we moved on to the events surrounding Joseph and just the angel appearing to him. Certainly we saw revealed in that the character of Joseph, but again, I I tried to submit, and I think I did a decent job at it, that that's not the point. Joseph being an upright man was not the point why Matthew wrote it. And though we should, too, follow Joseph's model to be upright and just good people, to stop being jerks, that's a good thing. That wasn't the point of why Matthew wrote it. Matthew wrote it to to remind us, again, that, that God is faithful, He fulfills the prophecy of the virgin birth. We're reminded why Jesus took on flesh and why this birth took place in Bethlehem. It was to fulfill prophecy and to save people from their sin. Matthew was very upfront about that. And we really tried to drill into the fact that that we are to keep an obedient life before the Lord. See, what you saw in Joseph was not necessarily a man, yes, a man of upright character, he wanted to divorce Mary privately and kind of preserve her character for future life. He ends up taking her as his wife. But what you saw was Joseph's response to the angel was a response of obedience. And I just, I just kind of posed the question, do we respond in obedience when the Lord leads us, be it through his word or through his spirit? If the Lord leads you through his spirit, remind yourself that he will never contradict his word. Okay, so uh, God told me to have an affair is never justifiable excuse to cheat on your spouse because the the scriptures don't ever support that right so again you can't just use it as your caveat god told me well if god told you then you need to be able to make sure that that lines with his word here god through an angel told joseph to take and have a wife and let it be mary that she was pregnant in fact by the spirit taking on and and uh christ coming that she didn't have an affair she was faithful and joseph in obedience it says right takes Christmas Eve, if, if you were here and joined us, we looked at, at the wise men. Just their seeking and their searching for this king. And we just asked the question of ourselves, what are we seeking for? What are we searching for? What do we desire for? Is it Christ? And, and do we see him as more precious than anything else? 
Do we humble ourselves and marvel at the gospel and at the fact that we're saved through Christ? Just wrestling with some ground fundamental questions of, of really what it means to be, if you claim to be a Christian, what does that even mean? Man, it means that you've found your desires fulfilled in Christ. That, that, that your spouse and your friendships and your job aren't meant to fulfill all your dreams. Right? What pressure, enormous, unreasonable pressure is it for Kim, my wife, to have on her the pressure of being a total fulfillment for me in life? To wake up every day and say, well, I hope I can meet all of Nate's expectations, even though he's moody when he's hungry. When he gets tired, he takes a nap. He's actually not very pleasant when he wakes up from that 10-minute nap. And she's got to figure that all out and read my mind somehow. That's unfair. It's unreasonable to ask. But yet, if we are truthful and, and honest and earnest in seeking the Lord, then we find our fulfillment in Christ, who, 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 by the way, came for us in our brokenness, that we might be restored, so we don't have to fear going to him when we feel broken. And today, we're going to continue on in Matthew's account of the young life of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, it's an interesting and fascinating text this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at verses 13 to 23. This is God's word. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. And what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. God, as we spend just a few moments this morning in your word and kind of pausing from everything else, I pray that you would just guide my words. They would be from you. And whatever is from you would be buried down deep within us that's rooted in your text. And whatever is not of you, just be forgotten this morning that we would be stirred to a greater understanding of, of who you are and the magnitude of the coming of the Messiah. In your name, amen. We've now flashed forward roughly two years in the life of Jesus. In Matthew's writing, this is the last of, that we know of Jesus as a child. Right, the next that we'll see of him will be as Christ steps into his public ministry. The other gospels help kind of fill in some of those gaps, but we really know very little about Jesus, the teenager, right, the preteen. We just don't know what kind of went on. We later on see him coming out. 
um, into public ministry. So the Magi, if you remember, had come to pay honor to Jesus. They were searching for that which was called King of the Jews. They brought gifts. They worshipped him. Right? There's, there's some thought that it's three Magi because there was three gifts, but it's actually very much more likely that there is numerous individuals, this whole caravan of people traveling because they're coming from quite a distance, perhaps even as far as Babylon. And once these Magi come, God warns them of Herod, Herod's not a nice guy. He tells them, look, return back to your own country a different way. See, the backdrop of this heavenly king right, is the existence of this earthly king, this guy named Herod. I'm not sure what you know about Herod. Herod is paranoid. He is a paranoid ruler. He's fearful of being taken over. He's angry. History tells us he murdered his own wife, several of his sons, and other relatives. Herod's got a complex. We also know he's smart. He's a master builder. He restored the temple in Jerusalem. He builds many theaters, cities, palaces, and fortresses. As you may have just gleaned here through our reading this morning, Herod seems to desire to know where Jesus is, right? This whole interaction with the Magi says, look, go and come back and tell me where you find him. One could maybe get the impression that that he actually is sincere and wants to know, so he might go and pay honor, but the truth is Herod has no desire for that. See, Herod's concern is the Magi came and said, we've come to find this one who's called King of the Jews. Herod doesn't prefer the Jews, doesn't like them very much, but more importantly, Herod probably takes notice of that first word, King. King Herod feels threatened. He does not want anyone who could possibly be considered a king of anything to exist within his territory. And it's because of this angry, truly, I believe, evil king that God comes to Joseph again in a dream. We don't know about Joseph's thoughts here. We don't know what he mulls through. But all I can imagine is uh, you don't get used to that. You know, this whole coming to, an angel coming again, in a vision, in a dream, it it doesn't become normal. So Joseph here finds himself confronted with the heavenly, with instruction being given. Go to Egypt. See, I think it's likely that when the time came, right, for a census, this is what set this whole plan in motion. It was a census. I'm sure... That Joseph and Mary did not expect it to go like this. We don't know. Maybe they thought the birth might happen, so they may have been prepared, but probably not. So they find themselves in a stable, giving birth, angels and shepherds. Later on, two years goes by, magi visit, and now they hope to leave to go to perhaps home. But what they find themselves is going on to a 90-mile journey that would take them to the Egyptian border. There probably was temptation for here for Joseph and Mary to simply think that God had abandoned them. That that this whole Messiah thing maybe wasn't going to go the way that God was was intending for it to go. Because they figured, again, we don't know, I'm truly just guessing, speculating here. But I'm guessing Mary and Joseph would have hoped at least that when God said, you're going to carry the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you're going to be tasked to raise the Messiah, perhaps they thought, God, maybe he'll make it easy for us. And yet here they find themselves fleeing to go back to Egypt, not back for them personally, but back for their people. But what do you notice here taking place? You notice obedience. 
text tells us Joseph takes his family at night. He sneaks out and, and kind of moves along the countryside, and they find themselves in Egypt. And what we begin to see here in this section of Scripture, specifically is Matthew, including numerous Old Testament references and prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus, or certain aspects of Israel's history being repeated in the life of Christ. For example, verse 15, he says, Out of Egypt I will call my son. This is a comparison of Hosea's words regarding Israel's departure from Egypt when they were rescued and delivered. Remember how God delivered his people out of Egypt? The difference is this. Jesus is the one who will rescue and will deliver them. See, Jesus, all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, he's there. He's at times directly spoken of. Often at times he's referenced to. Other times he's simply alluded to. Right? Or we see examples of someone who does something that we see that Christ will do in his fullness. And as in this situation, what we see is that Jesus is the one who will deliver his people. The nation of Israel, right, though they were physically saved out of Egypt, Jesus is the one who brings salvation. He's ultimately one that brings freedom. And ultimately the one who saves. And that promise does not just exist for Old Testament, right? And, and just his people, the nation Israel coming through. That's our promise. Like that's, that's the hope that we hold to today. That God will indeed save his people. And again, Matthew just told us that. that that's why Jesus came, was to save his people. You see, God's leading of Mary and Joseph to Egypt is a reminder for us again. I really think the whole theme of the beginning of Matthew is a reminder of God's faithfulness. If Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, right? well, that, what's that speak of? God's faithfulness. God's ability and willingness to keep his promise, to keep his word through generations, through evil, through departure, through brokenness, through good, eventually, in his good timing, in Christ. See, God is faithful to protect his plan. God is faithful to provide in whatever means necessary to see that his words will come to fruition. And so what we see here is that despite the ruling of a crazy, insecure king in Herod, God had called for the birth of Christ to take place in Bethlehem. Why would he do that? Why, if Herod is ruling, would God call for a census to be decreed? Because we're trusting that even God led Caesar in that. Why would he choose Bethlehem? And it goes back again because God is faithful to his word. Micah 5 verse 2 says this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Why did Mary and Joseph find themselves in Bethlehem? Because God had foretold about that through the prophet of Micah. 
In fact, God again used the decree by Caesar Augustus of a census to be taken to physically put Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem in order that Micah 5 would be fulfilled. See, God is constantly, it's amazing, he's constantly moving pieces. And now Joseph and Mary could have seen that as a gigantic inconvenience. We don't know if they knew of the prophecy of Micah 5. They just knew that a census was decreed. They had to be obedient because they did not fear. They feared the government, did not probably want to be taxed or worse. So they take a trek with a pregnant Mary and find themselves in Bethlehem. But all that was put in motion so that God's word would be kept that he spoke through Micah years before. See, God is continually faithful to keep his promises. He's faithful to keep his plan. To see that all things come to fruition that he said he would accomplish. When I just kind of wrestled and walked through this in preparation for today, this really led me to stop and consider just my own life and ask a simple question. Perhaps it's helpful for you as well. I asked myself, what are areas or things that I think God cannot or will not do? Are there areas in my life of things that I've just kind of decided that God cannot possibly do that or he won't possibly do something? And maybe we wouldn't be bold enough in a, in a group like this this morning to say those things out loud. But I'm going to assume that you and I are similar. That perhaps deep down within our hearts, kind of the area that we just wonder, the area that we wrestle with, There are things that we just simply resolve. God isn't apparently going to do anything about it. Perhaps it's that he won't deliver us from a sin that we've struggled with for years. Or maybe we wrestle with a a relationship that doesn't even seem to be reconcilable. Perhaps just the working through of God, why won't you heal me? Why won't you take these aches and pains away? And then even think beyond yourself for a moment and think, Lord, you said you're going to come again. Um, What's the holdup? Perhaps you've wrestled. Again, maybe you won't say those things out loud, but, but you're human. And even the writers in the New Testament, right, wrestled. The phrase, Lord, help me in my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. In other words, like, like I'm there, like I'm yours, I'm committed, but God, man, I struggle with this over here. I struggle with who you are in this way. God, you say you're loving, but you don't feel loving right now. You say you're listening, but I'm not sure that we're speaking the same language. And there's this, there seems to be this, this stigma that within God's people, we, we can't just be honest. You, you can't wrestle, you can't ask Real, real questions that weigh on you and seek out answers. Look, look, God knows these things before you say them. And if he doesn't, then he's not all-knowing, which means he's not God. But yet we find ourselves at times with, it, with a deep yearning and struggling, and we're really, we're kind of close-knit with what we'll do with that. Let me encourage you, perhaps, bring them before the Lord. And then even perhaps bring them before his people. 
God does not desire for us to wrestle alone. See, when we have these questions in life, when we wrestle through these things, I think there's a huge temptation for us to consider the option that God just simply isn't going to do something because he hasn't done it yet. Again, Lord, we've been praying for you to just deliver us from this this issue. Again, if it's your own personal sin, perhaps for years and even generations that have struggled with something. Well, he's not done it yet, so I guess he's not just going to do it. Look, with that thought, let me give you some things to consider. First is this. If there is something that God has declared in his word about himself about Jesus, their character, or what a relationship in Christ brings, the only thing God can do with that is keep his word. So when you begin to draw conclusions about what you think God is, look at the scripture. Because if God has ever declared something about himself or Christ, right, their character, their relationship that comes with Christ through salvation in him, God only knows how to remain faithful to himself. He remains faithful to his word. And what we see here in scripture is that he's declared something, then he will do it. We were just reminded of that. Micah 5, he declared that Christ would be born in Bethlehem, Messiah, and he did it. Listen to the words of Psalm 119, 89 and 90. It says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Look, God's word is fixed. It is firm. And his faithfulness endures, despite your circumstance, to all generations. See, this is what we see in the life of Christ. We see God's faithfulness. So what it doesn't say is all things that you endure in life, if you claim to be a Christian, are easy, simple, palatable, and comfortable. In fact, the case we made that in Scripture, God promises the opposite of that for his followers most of the time. I continue to just think and consider, and I submit before you, I know probably you're sick of hearing it, I think it's actually a problem greater than other parts of the world to be a believer in Western culture. I think the hurdles for us are huge. I think our affluence, I think our independence are huge stumbling blocks to having total dependence upon the Lord. And in a world where I can order on Amazon and get it two days later, if I'm really impatient, order it for the next day. I'm not, I'm, I'm too cheap for that, right? When all of a sudden God stops answering us in that immediate way, we think, well, I guess God doesn't care anymore. That's not true. See, God is, his faithfulness endures to all generations. God is faithful. He, he's faithful to all generations of those who are his, right? When Matthew said that, that Christ was coming to save his people from their sin, right? We, we said that, that's his people. It's how do you become one of his? Man, you're a child of God when you trust in Christ as your savior. You, you're his, I wonder if at times in our just instant world that we live in, that the majority of the world does not have, it makes it, it's a problem. It makes a hurdle for us 
to remind yourselves that God is faithful, even when our feelings might not feel it, or our requests slash demands haven't been met, as if we're holding hostages. Listen, when God, when God declares that you are His, when you've trusted in Christ's life, death, and resurrection for salvation, then we can trust Paul's words in Romans 5 when he says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you have peace with God. Right? This is not dependent upon, guess what, your actions. It's not dependent upon your outstanding performance, but upon Christ. And so you have peace with God through Christ. So when you are his, when you are a follower of Jesus, right, what we would call a Christian, you've authentically trusted in Christ as your Savior. And I mean that word authentically. I think it's a heart and a head thing going on there. You're his. And God will only remain faithful to you. He will remain faithful to bring to fruition what he has declared true. So then what has he declared true about your life? Big truths that one day you will enter glory and not hell. That your sins are forgiven because of the blood of Christ alone, not because of your works. That your works attribute nothing to your salvation. But after you come to faith in Christ alone, your works are evidence, actually, of your salvation. They're fruit. And that because of the precious blood of Christ, man, glory is yours. So what about tomorrow? Look, I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. But I know that God's faithful. He's faithful to his character. What about next week? I don't know what next week holds for you. But I know that God's faithful to keep his promises. I know he's faithful to keep his word. I know that when it says he'll never leave us or forsake us, he means that. Look, before we begin to think that because something for so long we've asked God to take away or to deliver or to heal hasn't happened yet, we think that God's abandoned us, fight that temptation of thought. God has not abandoned you when you are his. That's impossible. When you're authentically his and you're pursuing Christ, he does not abandon you. Please fight that temptation. God can only keep his word to be faithful. When you struggle with that, go to his word and what does it declare? The second thing is this. If you sought the Lord and he has not yet answered you, consider your options wisely. If you sought the Lord and he has not yet answered you, consider your options wisely. God is not a genie who eagerly awaits to answer your wishes. God is a sovereign God who graciously hears your and my prayer and also answers them as he sees fit when he sees fit. And you don't like that, do you? And I'll tell you why you don't like that, because you're like me and you like to be in control. And so we say things like, that God's going to answer something according to what? His will. Something about that doesn't quite sit right. Because you like to be in control. But it's fascinating to me that when Jesus, his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. 
says, all right, he teaches them, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? And, and I'm pretty sure in heaven, right, I, I don't think God takes a vote it should happen. I don't think God said, Satan, what do you, I mean, because Satan's a fallen angel, right? I don't think God says, Satan, what do you think? What are your thoughts on me being the Holy One? Oh, you don't like that? Oh, I'm sorry. But that's not how heaven works, right? There's a reason that Satan's no longer in heaven. He was cast out because he wanted to rival God. And there's some we know that some chose to follow. We may sit here and say in our brains, I can't fathom that. Look at it. We do it all the time. <laughs> when situations start happening in our lives that we don't control, that, that, that I think God is orchestrating, what do we start to do? God, I wouldn't do that. God, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if I were you, I wouldn't have done that. So when I say consider wisely your options, please remember, God is not a genie. He operates sovereignly. He is not bound to a timeline of expectations that we might lay out. For example, Micah's words of prophecy regarding Bethlehem were written over 700 years prior to of a census declared by Caesar. So let's just say God's people, who I think were waiting for the Messiah much longer than 700 years, only went back. Let's say they only went back to Micah and said, man, this Messiah is going to come through Bethlehem. And now again, we know that God's people were a little bit perhaps wrong, misguided, because they wanted this big emperor king to restore God's people to ruling power. And that's not what the Messiah did. But they were eagerly looking. They were waiting for the Messiah to come through Bethlehem for 700 years. And let's just be kind and say that someone lived for 50 years at that time. What does that mean? That for generation after generation after generation after generation... There's fear and thought that God had forgotten, potentially. But God was not slow in keeping his promise. Because one of my most favorite scriptures in all of scripture says that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God was not sitting up in heaven saying, throwing darts at a dartboard with time on it saying, oh, year 4 B.C., all right, let's send the Messiah now. No, since before the creation of the earth, God knew when Christ would come. He was not slow in keeping his promise. In our world of immediate results, again, God is not bound to our timeline. Look, here's a warning, church, for you and for me. Do not abandon the Lord. In your seasons of wrestling and struggling and even doubt, do not abandon the Lord because he has not abandoned you. I beg you to remain faithful. Continue to seek him, to seek his leading. Remember Paul's words when he says, look, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance. Why? Why? Why give thanks in everything? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Because some circumstances, which are hard and they're trials, do you know what they're meant to do? They're meant to drive you closer to Jesus. 
They're meant for us to have greater dependence and greater trust and a greater relationship with Christ. And frankly, you may not have ever achieved that greater relationship if things just went swimmingly. Right? James, consider pure joy of brothers whenever you right, endure trials. Right? Knowing that they have various kind, right? produce what? Perseverance. Your faith grows in actually these things. And it's so hard, right? Because none of us, nobody, look it. Nobody's going to hold a nail and have a hammer in your hand and right before you go to swing your hammer, turn your finger to smash your thumb instead of the nail. No one's going to do that. I trust you're smart people. You wouldn't do that on purpose. Why not? Because you don't want to bring about pain. You ever smashed your hammer into your nail? Like your fingernail? I was there that day. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it hurts. You ever shot a nail gun through and missed and gone to your finger? It hurts. So you wouldn't do it. It's just not human nature. You don't normally try to figure out how can I make myself hurt today. But perhaps in your struggle, in your wrestle, in your heartache, in your brokenness, God is calling out to you that he is remaining faithful to you. I know you may not perceive in, in that moment that's what's happening, but I promise you in your brokenness, God has not abandoned you. I beg you to remain faithful to seek the Lord, to trust his timing, and to trust his plan. You think it's a long time between Micah, chapter 5, 700 plus years. It's even longer between Genesis 3 and Matthew 1, isn't it? Genesis 3, Christ is foreshadowed. He's talked about. Genesis 3, in the garden, he's talked about. But God was not unfaithful. He kept his promise. Look, the narrative of the birth of Jesus is completely woven in the plan of God. It's completely under his protection and his provision to see it all come to fruition. It's all part of God's perfect plan. But I don't know if Mary and Joseph always felt that way. It's like, Egypt? Do you know what they do there? Do you know what they eat in Egypt? And they write on walls inside the tombs. It's just different. I said, yeah, I know. Just go. And what Mary and Joseph could have easily taken as just personal suffering was actually part of God's plan of protection because Herod was about to put out the order to have all these kids ages 200 killed. Herod was a jerk. Selfish, nervous, paranoid, evil and God and his provision and his protection of his plan and his people sends them 90 miles away to a foreign land look the last thing I want us to notice today and really in our Advent series here is this listen God used people in all of this So God was faithful to his plan. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his protection and provision. But he's faithful to his people because God used people in all of this. In this grand, loving rescue plan, God used humanity. Again, he uses Caesar and Herod to move the family towards Bethlehem and later Egypt. Right After Herod, God's evil son, Archelaus, takes the throne All that happens, so why? So Jesus would go and be brought up where? In Nazareth. 
again so that God's word would be kept when it said, he shall be called Nazarene. That wasn't going to naturally happen. They didn't intend to go live there, but right, Herod's son, who is just as paranoid and evil as Herod, forces this. See, God uses people. He, God used Mary and Joseph, this good right, Jewish couple. I'm sure they were hoping for the Messiah to come, probably just not through them. God used them to birth and to raise, to love, to teach, invest, and guide the King of Kings. Which leads me to ask the question, how is God seeking to use you and to use me? It's not arrogant thinking here. This is the reality of God's plan. This is how God works. He works through his people. He's seeking to use his people here on earth. But what is God after? Simply God is it's, he's after his glory. See, God is for his glory. Before you think that's arrogant, remember, you didn't create the earth by speaking it. God is for his glory. And so we have to ask ourselves, if God uses humanity, how are we being used? How is he leading us? How is he working in us? How are we doing at representing him? If indeed we claim that our life has been rescued because the Messiah has come and we through Christ have been changed, how are we doing at using our new identity in Christ for his glory? How are we doing to show others around us the radical love of Christ that's within us? Now, I'll confess to you, just this own last week, I, I had to confess before the Lord really what I felt like my own arrogance. Because I think sometime, I don't know when, but along the way, I just, I think in my own conscience here, concluded that, that God's team was surely better because I was on it. And I just confessed before the Lord, look, forgive me for my arrogance. Oh, Lord, you should be lucky to have me, you know. That's ridiculous. As nice as you think I am, maybe some of you think I am, I don't know. I've got junk and crap myself. I'm, right? I'm broken. I'm just redeemed by Christ. It's an unbelievable thought to think that God even allows me to be part of his team but he graciously put me there through the blood of his own son and that can be hard can it to lay down our pride but I need to so that I can be obedient when he leads me see God uses people all the time author David Platt in his, in his book Radical says that the church God's people that, that's God's plan A for his expanding his kingdom, and there is no plan B. Like when you read the New Testament and you read the early church being birthed and you read kind of our commands to live out of that New Testament church, like we're supposed to be part of God's plan and growing his kingdom. But I wonder, do we just settle in? Like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you, gotta, you figure it out for yourself. I'm good. And I think over time, man, we've just become kind of self-focused, isolated, and we're not even beginning to remember the fact that, man, we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. God uses people all the time.
See, perhaps there's someone that you know who's wondering, why has God not yet answered my prayer? What if God's waiting for you to act in obedience to his leading as the answer to someone's prayer? I'll say it again because I think it's important. Perhaps there's someone who's wondering why God's not yet answered their prayer. It could be perhaps that God is waiting for you or for me to act in obedience to his leading as the answer to someone's prayer. Meaning this is someone could be praying and asking the Lord to comfort their loneliness. And the Holy Spirit could be pressing into your life to visit with someone or to make them a meal. I would venture to guess that, that God would be using that person and answering that prayer of healing their heart from loneliness. Some are called to travel the globe for the kingdom. And some are called just to simply walk across the yard. See, God is faithful to his word. He protects his plans that he's declared, and he uses us flaws and all in the process. What an unbelievable, humbling, exciting thought. I think the challenge is simple. To live as the Spirit leads you if you're in Christ today. That may freak you out and scare you based on your own tradition and upbringing and church experience like the Holy Spirit. Scripture says it's in you if you're in Christ. He wants to lead you. He wants to lead you. I don't know where. And it could be that perhaps you've said just that, that God caught, he possibly, he says, no way he's calling to bring me there. I don't think Joseph wanted to go to Egypt. I think he wanted to go home. But God, in his good and gracious love, sent him to Egypt to protect the Messiah. And truly to protect, probably protect Mary and Joseph too. Like if you are loved, you are in Christ today, you are loved by the King of Kings who took on flesh. Live as the Spirit leads you. You think your package showing up early brings some adrenaline rush to you? Right? Imagine living freely in the Spirit. Just go as He leads. Like that's exciting. And like I yearn for that in my own life as much as I'm a control freak and I hate risk. I, I do, man. I want to live like man, just uninhibited obedience to the Lord. If he says go across the street, I want to go across the street. If he says go across the globe, I want to go across the globe. If he says sell it all, I want to sell it all. I don't know. Maybe he'll call us. I don't know. But I want to be obedient because I'm amazed the fact that I even get to be on the team. If you've not trusted in Christ your Savior, look, you can be known by this promise-keeping God. And he welcomes you to come to him and to know your creator. And if we are in Christ today, would we all together just praise the Lord? Because whatever promise he makes, he will never leave it empty. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would just sow that into our own lives. That if we are in you today, that we would just wrestle with what it truly means to live in obedience to you and following the Spirit's leading. 
God, we have seen throughout this entire Matthew portion of Scripture that you are faithful to your word. You're faithful to your people. It does not mean that it is easy or simple, but that you will be with us when it's hard. That's promised. So, Lord, would you draw us to you? Will we just be amazed that we are known by our Creator today? In your name, amen.